Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Roman Vizniak was difficult and flamboyant, a shameless self-promoter, mender of the truth, and master of reinvention. He was also one of the groundbreaking photographers of the 20th century, a brilliant artist whose body of work spans decades, continents, and catastrophic fallout from two world wars. Though his pioneering microscopy transformed the nature of science photography, Roman Vizniak is best known for his iconic images of Jewish life in Eastern Europe from 1935 through 1938. Few predicted that less than a decade later, these communities would be wiped out and Vizniak's photographs would provide the last visual records of an entire world. This is a brilliant documentary film, and it's about someone I had no idea even existed. So I'm thrilled to be able to bring on the program the director and producer of Vizniak, and that would be Laura Bialis. Laura, welcome to Film School Radio. Tell me how you got onto this particular story. Many years ago, I was introduced to Mara Vizniak-Cohn, who is Vizniak's daughter, the daughter of Roman Vizniak. And when I first met her, she told me this unbelievable story about her family's escape from Europe at the very end of 1940, which was a very late time to escape from Nazi-occupied Germany. And all of her stories, she was telling me about growing up as a little girl in Berlin and what it was like to be there as a Jewish kid all of a sudden when Hitler came to power and she started losing all of her civil rights um, and then had to flee. And it was the most amazing story. And she was such a vivid storyteller. I was completely enthralled and on the edge of my seat. And at that point, I did not know who Roman Bizniak was, even though I had been a student of photography. I had, among other things, I had done my own black and white photography. I studied other modernist photographers in college, contemporaries of Vizniak. And I was also studying Jewish history at that time as a student. And I didn't, I had never heard about him somehow. And later on, she invited me to her home, she, me and, and my parents. Her father's photos were on the walls. And A Vanished World, Roman Vizniak's most famous book, was there. And I saw it and I said, Dad, that's the book. You have that book in your library. I didn't know until that moment who Roman Vizniak was. And I think it's a little bit telling that he was known as the photographer of these Eastern European Jews. But his photography is so phenomenal that he really deserves a place with all the other amazing modernist photographers, the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Absolutely. And I'm leaping ahead a bit here. But he eventually did gain some recognition, level of recognition, by virtue of his work on a very popular magazine, very popular magazine here in the U.S., where he was among some of the most famous photographers of the 20th century, where his work was being displayed. But that was later, and yeah. that was his science yeah. work. And yeah. it's a completely different kind of work. 
Yeah. And many people don't even connect the two. They either know him as Roman Vizniak, the famous microscopist who photographed these amazing mi microscopic organisms underneath a microscope for Life magazine, or they know him as the iconic photographer of Eastern European Jews. And at the beginning of this project, understand what was the connection between these two different worlds that he photographed. Well, one of the great things about Roman Vizniak is that he was, in addition to being an incredible photographer um, and a, a man with a terrific mind, but he's a complex character. He, he has his foibles, he has his faults, he has his strengths. And one of the things about the documentary film, Vizniak, is that you get an opportunity to explore those. It's hard to undersell just how compelling his photography was of the Eastern European Jews during that period of time. It is among, I mean, I have not immersed myself in his works. Certainly this is the first time I've seen it, but it is so compelling. I can't imagine that the body of work isn't even more, more so. But you had this, you had this great character. He was a kind of a crazy character. And it was fascinating to jump in and to try to understand this man behind some of these legendary photographs. And then to just become acquainted with all of the photographs, you know, to get to sort through on a hard drive image after Im stunning image after stunning image was kind of mind blowing how beautiful, amazing, breathtaking these images are, to try to discover what set him apart from other photographers at that time, what makes these photographs special. I think that I never met him, but I really believe that there is this thing that happens between photographer and subject, that there is some spark of connection, that it is a relationship, a dance, that there's something going on when someone takes your photograph or you're taking someone's photograph and it's the lens through which you see them as a photographer and then the way they respond to your presence, to your personality, whatever it is that you're able to get out of that person. And so I feel like he must have had some gift in connecting with these people because he's somehow able to capture their personality in a single image. And it's incredibly powerful. In more incredibly powerful to know that for some of these people and for some of them very young people, this was a couple of years before, unfortunately, they disappeared. I think that's the power of the, the, his work. It's not just that. It is the framing. It is the composition. It is the the use of light. It's all of those things that an accomplished photographer would be a, a master photographer would be adept at. But it's the knowing that almost all of the people that we're seeing in those photos perished in the most horrific circumstances, one way or the other, whether it was at a death camp or, or whether it was by starvation or whether whatever it was, knowing and seeing the innocent faces of these children and, and everyone else, it is... Uh, it gives it the resonance to the photos, a, a specific and very powerful impact. It's also like a civilization. I mean, some of the things that he photographed, yes. it wasn't just faces, but it was their way of life. Yeah. And it was a way of life that wasn't going to be there anymore. 
What's um, what's the the village? Uh, Absha? Absha in Absha. Absha, which was particularly interesting, just in and of itself, the fact that it was just farms and homes, and they had sustained a way of life for many, many, many years. That was amazing to me. Another part of the film that talk a little bit about that. Where was that located? It's in the Carpathian Mountains in the high, I think, high Carpathian Mountains. And I think it's, I've located on a map, but it's an area that kept changing borders. So at one point, I think it was Czechoslovakia. And at one point it was Hungary. And I believe now it's actually part of Ukraine. He definitely was on a trek. He was on a journey of discovery to go up into the mountains to find the this remote group of Jews, as he says in some of his writings. He really captured, with also with film, yeah. this is one of the only pieces of film that exists. We have two distinct reels of film that Vizniak shot that survived. And one is from Apsha and one is actually uh, from uh, from France. Yeah, it's it's a very amazing piece of film. And then he also has photographs of some of the same people that he took the film footage of. Well, again, I'll go back to the power of it. The power of it is not only in the, in the technical part of it, but knowing that the people of Apsha were there for a reason that was in some ways out of their control in the sense that to be removed from society was the safest place for them to be. And this is something that that became part of their life over hundreds of years of the persecution of the Jews, particularly in Eastern Europe and, I mean, all around that area, that made seeing them what they were doing and how they were going about their lives and were probably derived great satisfaction in what they did and where they were living for a lot of reasons. But I think for me, the context is it was safer to be there than it would have been in in, in the general society that had been so hostile. Is is that fair? ultimately not? But because ulti- ultimately not. Yeah. Ultimately, they weren't safe, and right. they ended up. A lot of those people ended up dying in Auschwitz. But the fact that they at least tried to get away from the from the bigotry and the anti-Semitism in a way that they could sustain themselves. I mean, I think that's one of the most amazing for me parts of telling this story is not even um, what happened to these people, but the idea of of what a photograph is for a a family member and the fact that he captured these faces and he captured these towns and these people. And then years later, this amazing woman that we found, who's the farmer from Apsha's granddaughter, and she has these photographs of her grandfather that Roman Vizniak took and she never got to meet her grandfather but she has the photographs of them and it's it's a really kind of incredible example of what a photograph can do connecting somebody to their own heritage and to their family story i often throw around the word incredible and oftentimes it it starts to lose some of its some of its power but this is an incredible story and i i mean in every almost every sense of the word in the sense that the fact that you found mara you connected with her. She was willing to work with you. You begun to discover his life, his career, and then the incredible circumstances, not only of his life, but of the people in his family, the extended family, the culture, all destined for, for this horrible demise in some ways. 
but the resiliency of her, of Mara, and, and her clear-eyed perspective on it all. So Vizniak's daughter Mara, and I knew her for many years, and we became very good friends. She did not want to tell the story originally. I mean, she told the story in public and she told the story in books, but she did not really want to make a film about her father's life when I first approached her about it. She kind of, oh, it was intriguing. What did I have to say? And what, you know, maybe it was flattering and interesting, but she really said, well, I don't know. And I think part of what we tell in the film is this incredibly complex relationship that she had with her father, who was this you know, great artist, but really difficult, as, as she once told me, slightly crazy person to deal with. I think she wanted his story to be told. She wanted his work to be celebrated. She believed in it, in the work. She would call it the work, the photographs. She felt conflicted about getting into the quote unquote dirty laundry. And what was the dirty laundry? Just that he was a complicated character. He made up story. We don't know when he told stories about his life experiences, what was true and what was made up. That was hard for her because I think she didn't want to have a film made that was this hagiographic, hey, oh, this is this big hero that, you know, preserved all these faces. And she didn't at the same time want to really dig into all the critiques about him and how she felt about him. But I, over time, convinced her that a film would be important way to reintroduce audiences to these, these amazing photographs and these important photographs. I think, you know, we say incredible and stunning and breathtaking and all these words, but they're important because they, they capture a time and a place and they're sort of a part of a collective memory of Jewish people. And then I said, you know, all of these great artists, they're not such, it's not like you have to be a perfect person to have a movie made about you. Oh, you don't? <laughs> no. I said, what about Picasso? What about all these other artists that had, you know, you know, we're going to start judging them on their ethics and their morals and their, no, there's, that's what makes it interesting. And I think she just needed to trust someone and, you know, so we started out and we did the first interview and it was a very wonderful interview because she was a great storyteller with enthusiasm and with the fabulous details, but it was sort of canned. I mean, it was her story that she always had told over and over again for years. And at this point she was, I think when I first did the first interview, like 88 or something. And then I realized that the the crew was getting in my going to get in my way that if i really wanted to get the real story i was going to have to just show up there with a audio recorder by myself and just have tea with her and we lived like 10 minutes away and so i would like drop the kids off at school and drive over and say well tell me about the story about this again and then i would just there was no problem with time. So I would just get into the details. And everything. Yeah. Slowly, slowly, it started coming out, but she was very careful. And I remember, and, and Mara towards the end of her life was, was almost completely blind, but she knew when the tape recorder was on, when the voice recorder was on or off. And so sometimes I would press off and then she would say some unbelievable 
piece of information in the most dramatic way possible, of course. And she didn't, she wasn't ready to say it on tape. And we did this for a very long time. I mean, years. And we became really close friends. I mean, she became a confidant and an advisor and somebody who, you know, helped me with things in my life. Then we we had all this audio material. And then at the end, and it was only a few months before she passed away. I said, well, let's do another interview on the camera. And I brought the crew back and we did the makeup and the, the whole thing. And we were sitting there and she was much, much weaker. But she we'd already talked about all these stories, but now we needed, you know, some footage of it too. So at one point she just said, oh, what the hell? All these people are dead anyway. And she told me the stories. And so it was, it was a long road to get that story. And I was so sad that she was not with us to, to be able to, to see the movie at the end. Um, but ultimately it's not just a story about Roman Vizniak and his photographs. It's a family saga of which she is the narrator and it's, a daughter's perspective on a father and their yeah. relationship. It's a story about also about someone who has to come to terms with their parent and realize that they, you know, are going to preserve their legacy. And so I was sad that she was not there at the end to see the, the film. But the only thing that made me really happy was when the film came out, Mara's daughter came to the premiere and also her granddaughters. It was the first time she had seen the movie. This is Naomi Mara's daughter. And she said, I think my mother would have been really happy with this film. And I think that you told her story the way she wanted it told. And it was the first time that she got to have a say. She got to have her story. She got to have a say about about it. So I'm I feel good about that. You should, you should. The, the film is being released through Obrama Rama. I just want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Laura Bialis, and she is the director and producer of this incredible documentary film called Visioniac, and it will be screening here in Los Angeles at the Town Center. I believe that's in Encino, as well as the Royal, which is in Los Angeles. Those are both Lemley theaters, so be sure and check it out. That's uh, Friday, February 2nd, today, so be looking forward to it. Such a beautiful film. Do you think if if it hasn't already happened that people will take another look at Vizniak and his work, or is that happening? Or you sense any of that happening at all? Vizniak's photographs had been displayed on and off over the years, either his Eastern European collection or the science and micro microscopic photography. Um, and then there were some books published that Mara helped that happen. And then several years ago, there was also this big exhibition and catalog, Roman Vizniak Rediscovered, which was done at the International Center of Photography in New York. And now that the collection is at the Magnus Museum at University of California, Berkeley, they're also doing exhibitions and starting to, to um, do more research with the collection. But I really, really hope that this film will introduce new audiences to Vizniak's work. And what's fascinating is that, you know, for years he was known just as the photographer of this one set of images. And his photography is so much more than that, even though those images are 
truly mind-blowing um, in that collection. But I think the film shows the breadth of his entire career. And I, so I'm excited for audiences to, to see this and, and for people who have never heard of Vizniak to discover him. The images from his photographing um, Jewish people in Eastern Europe is technically beautiful, but haunting. For whatever his foibles may have been as a person, the work is really, truly beautiful. And based on that work, he certainly deserves to be brought into the company of some of the greatest photographers of the 20th century. And I believe that this documentary film, Vizniak, goes a long ways towards addressing that question. Congratulations, Laura Bialis, for bringing to the world this terrific documentary film, Vizniak, and to bringing to me a figure who I was unfamiliar with, Roman Vizniak, and his work, his times, his life, his family. Thank you to Mara, his daughter, for helping you in this effort. It is a terrific documentary film, Vizniak, and it will be screening here in Los Angeles at the Lemley Royal as well as the Lemley Town Center this Friday February 2nd. So be looking for it. Director, producer of Vizniak, Laura Bielis, thank you so very much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.